Welcome to How We Got Here, a podcast between Nondoc Media and FKG Consulting. This is episode eight, and we are here with Bud Scott of New Health Solutions Oklahoma. Uh, we're going to talk about state question 788. So uh, it's we're recording this at 4.20 a.m., uh, trying to get an early start on the day. <laughs> No, I'm sorry, we're not. Uh, it's it's about 11, uh, 11, 11 uh, guys, make a wish. Uh, this is um, this is a couple weeks ahead of the June 26th primary election, and so uh, state question 788 is the only state question on the ballot, and we're going to talk about that today. Uh, Bud, how are you doing? I'm doing fine, just ready to get this vote passed to the will of the people and then move on with the development of supplemental laws to make sure we get cannabis out there. Wonderful. And uh, Brian Freed is back with us. You took one episode off, I guess it was. So, Brian, how are you? I think it was more you all kicked me off of an episode, and now I've groveled my way back in. So. Uh, I mean, I, you know, sure. It's uh, not like FKG is not integral to this uh, whole activity. So I actually think uh, you guys are working with New Health uh, Solutions we are. Uh, a little bit. Tell us a little bit how uh, what New Health Solutions Oklahoma is, how it got started, and then we'll kind of go, we'll backtrack into... Uh, medical cannabis uh, as, as an issue. Sure, sure. Well, um, I'm Bud Scott. I'm an attorney here in Oklahoma City, and I've worked with uh, cannabis clients in Colorado and a couple other jurisdictions over the last several years, mainly doing business development, uh, licensing applications, and regulatory compliance. And last summer, summer of 2017, had been approached by a few of my clients to come up to Colorado and actually relocate and work in the industry up there. And uh, around the same time, we all knew that State Question 788 was going to be on the ballot at some point in 2018, uh, after it failed to actually get on the ballot in 2016 uh, because of legal challenges. So had a number of clients here approach me and say, look, we need you to stick around and try to basically head this thing off, um, create a business association around the industry. Um, so last summer, 2017, started to work with existing clients and then potential clients in the cannabis industry in Oklahoma to put together an effective business association representing their interest on policy development, on partnership and market creation, uh, industry analysis, uh, and community partnerships effectively. So that this isn't just uh, a thousand people trying to enter the industry without a unified voice and without really maybe the, the expertise necessary to, to develop it? properly well definitely not from our perspective it's definitely not a thousand people i'll say that uh, <laughs> right right our, you know, our, our coffers would be much more full if I, it were well, a thousand people. <laughs> I feel like i've i've encountered a thousand people who have told me that they uh, want to open a, a medical cannabis shop if this passes so absolutely uh, now now it'll certainly be fewer than that who actually go about it but um yeah i, I, I do think uh, that it is important to point out uh, that bud's group was formed after the 788 question was, you were not part of that. Absolutely, yeah. We, we didn't have anything to do with the drafting of that language, and that is an important issue to point out because uh, while we support 788, there's, there's definitely some, had it been us attorneys drafting it, it probably would have looked a little bit different, um, might have been fleshed out a little bit more, um, but we recognize that because of its current state, we had to advocate for supplemental rules and laws to be adopted that would help really spell out state question 788 in the cannabis industry in Oklahoma which is exactly what we've seen in other communities so yeah so this if if state question 788 passes uh, it's it's almost a certainty that the legislature will go 
and modify <clears throat> some of the language involved to set it up as you've advocated for more like other states, correct? Absolutely. And we've used, we've created a model for recommendations that are based upon best practices from the most successful jurisdictions with medical cannabis programs, namely Michigan, Colorado, Oregon, Washington. We try to stay away from California just because it's its own animal. It's kind of like basing laws off out of anything out of Texas and anything out of California. They're completely their own republics and have their own dynamics, their own economies. So we really try to stay away from some of their policy recommendations. But we've built our modeling off of what we've seen in those other states and uh, what we've experienced in those other states. And hopefully we'll be working with the legislature to adopt responsible programs for oh, the most timely implementation of this program when 788 passes. Well, let's go back in time a little bit. Let's talk about how we got here. We are a, a couple weeks, um, about three weeks or so ahead of the June 26th primary. Uh, any voter can vote in that, Republican, Democrat, Independent, Libertarian. Uh, that'll be uh, along with the Republican, uh, huge Republican primary on the governor's uh, side or, or in the governor's race. But we'll get to that in, in a little bit. Let's go back in time. Uh, uh, I'll start. Let, let's start when we were all in high school. Um, did you guys anticipate that maybe the needle would move so quickly across America in terms of uh, uh, any sort of uh, cannabis, uh, in, in terms of uh, uh, medical marijuana, or even some states were doing recreational? I, I certainly thought that maybe by the time I was toward the end of my life, I, uh, I might see that. But it, it seems like there's been a, a movement um, over, the, over recent years. So what were you guys' thoughts? Let's go back in time to when you were uh, you know, uh, uh, young men. Uh, I don't mean it like that, but I'm still a young man. Come on, <laughs> just got gray in my beard and big belly. Yeah, well, that's what campaigns will do for you. Well, I was in high school a lot longer ago than you all were, so there was never a thought in my mind that this this would happen. But I would say that in the last five six years, I've watched how this has moved in, with lightning speed across the country, and really uh, watching this uh, domino. It's kind of like a domino effect, I think, across the country, and. But even even then, uh, Oklahoma is a conservative state, and I really thought that maybe we would be talking about you know five, six, seven years from now that we we would have something along these lines. But as you watch this uh, move in states all across the country and in and in some red states and all of that type of stuff, it, it feels to me like the pendulum has really just swung in the favor of medical cannabis and I think cannabis in general uh, in this country, I think people have, have uh, either had their own experiences with it or they have just seen how the laws are inconsistent as it relates to cannabis versus alcohol or opioids or whatever you want to say and they, they have just come to the conclusion based upon a lot of science and a lot of those type of things that this is just something that's we're behind the times, quite frankly. I mean, that's my opinion on it. And, and honestly, when I was in high school in the 1990s, um, you had states that already had implemented medical cannabis. Now, it was definitely fledgling. Um, it was a nascent program. I mean, California has had medical in one form or another for a long time. I, I think medical in, in 1996 in California. Mm -hmm. That would have been my um, sophomore year. Beginning. And then I think the next one, do you guys have any guess on the next three states to pass? Um, after California, uh, maybe Alaska? Yeah, Alaska, Oregon, and Washington all in 1998. Mm -hmm. uh, and then Maine in 1999. Now, there's a big difference between their, its passage and implementation. 
And a lot of those states, you had a really drawn out process. And, and we've seen that in recent history, especially along the East Coast. There's kind of a, a Biggie Tupac thing going in the cannabis industry. We've got East Coast versus West Coast because the West Coast has a functional implemented model, whereas the East Coast has a much more restrictive model that uh, in most states just hasn't been successful in implementing. And I think there's 29, if you don't include Washington, D.C., 29 states have some form of medical or recreational, but at least medical. I think it's 30 now. Uh, is it 30 I know now? Virginia passed it through their assembly. Well, I think it's session. 30 if you count Washington, D.C. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, so we had in, in 2016, uh, it looks like, uh, you know, you had Arkansas, which is I think was a surprise to a lot of people. It was kind of a close vote, but that was a, a bit of a surprise. And we can go down that road uh, as well. There, there was Florida. Um, there was Ohio. Uh, there was North Dakota, and then in 2017 there was West Virginia. So depending on how you draw the South, um, you know this isn't just uh, an issue for West Coast liberals or Northeast uh, uh, liberals either. I mean, this is you know if we look at Arkansas, granted it's you know uh, has its own version of blue as Oklahoma does, um, but if you look at some of those places, you know it's it's not just um, your quote-unquote, far-left states across the country. Oh, absolutely. We like to say that cannabis is a nonpartisan issue, that really people from across the spectrum are supportive of it for one form or another. Um, You have kind of the libertarian folks that are really uh, come at this perspective that the government should have nothing to do with regulating a product like this. And then you have uh, folks that are more into the, the medical side of this. And then you have the people really pushing for recreational, um, which obviously we're not doing here in Oklahoma. Uh, But it's been an interesting process watching this evolve across the country and recognizing how it's evolved in different states. It's been very different. Um, So I think we have an opportunity here to build upon some of those best models. And and I believe uh, that I do not uh, have the the actual data in front of me right now, but to, to kind of just pick up on what you said, I believe that there was a poll done recently that showed that this issue, uh, cannabis, was the most bipartisan issue of, of a laundry list of issues that, it, you know, most of the issues really come across um, a, a political divide, but this was the issue that kind of rose to the top where there was the most consensus amongst uh, the two parties. Absolutely. In the, in the last year, we've, re- we've seen from all national polling indications that there's upwards of a 92% national approval rating for medical cannabis legalization. That is a huge swing and that's all i, th- I want to say quinnipiac university had released this poll maybe september 2017 and what they indicated was that there had been a six point jump in less than one year nationally and i think a lot of that comes from you have people using these products they're traveling to other states they're seeing their families and friends actually benefit from the products or they're visiting recreational states and saying hey you know what this isn't that bad um, so it's changing the national dynamic that polling is is really telling of, of the way this has turned. Um, let's think back just a few years, 2013-2014, um, I think the group's name is Oklahomans for Health, uh, who is who's still involved in pushing this uh, today, but they were the group that uh, ultimately got this on the ballot. They tried in, I think it was 2013 or 2014, to do a, a, a signature gathering process to, to put this to a vote of the people and fell short. And then in 2015, I believe it was, uh, they, they gave it another go, and they had a, a sort of a, maybe a little more experienced political person involved, a uh, friend of the podcast, I guess, he's been on two episodes, Joe Dorman, 
Um, he was involved uh, heavily, and they sort of eked over the threshold to get onto the ballot. And then uh, that was the governor then had, uh, I think, couldn't, by the time frame, wasn't technically even able to put it on the November 2016 ballot. Well, that um, was there was actually legal challenges to right. both the title language um, and then after the fact, um, by the time the Supreme Court had actually issued the opinion, it was two days too late to actually print the ballots. Gotcha. So it was a And then that was, a, I believe, a actual decision by then Attorney General Scott Pruitt yes. to uh, punt this to the 2018 ballot. That's okay. right. Okay. So, but so then at that time, the governor then the got governor to decide, gets to decide when. Well, yes, correct. Yeah. And so she chose the June 26th primary. Um, some people uh, believe uh, in an effort to make it harder to, to pass. Um, it, it, in, a, in a primary, it's especially with as many Republican candidates for, for governor, um, even though we said it's bipartisan support, certainly I think the, um, uh, there's a higher percentage of Republicans who are opposed to it. Um, and for, for whatever reason, we can get in a, into that in a little bit. But um, potentially, I think some people felt that, A, they didn't want this on the November ballot because it might help drive turnout for, for Democrats. Uh, but, but two, that, that if it was going to be uh, defeated um, by some people who are opposed to it, and there is an op- opposition campaign, we'll talk about that too, uh, that maybe the June 26th primary ballot would be the, the, the place to put it. So once it, Oklahomans for Health got um, it on the ballot, uh, there were a bunch of people talking about how are we going to push this forward. And Bud, you kind of got involved somewhere after that part. So kind of tell us how you got involved. And you have an interesting background. Uh, to in, in, in the industry, if you will. Well, we got involved um, in 2017. Um, now, I'll, I'll step back and just kind of go over the timeline here of, of my twisting and turning route. It's, it's like, uh, oh, what, what's the Rip Van Winkle? That's kind of how I feel in the campus you industry. Fell as, you fell asleep? I, I fell asleep okay. well, uh, a long you, time I'm ago. I'm glad you could wake up and join us this morning, yeah. So effectively, um, I ran a landscaping company going all the way back to high school. Mom had a horticulture uh, degree and program. And uh, so I actually received a botany degree and a letters degree from the University of Oklahoma. And during my time there, moved abroad and actually worked in the industry as a grower in the Netherlands, uh, which was a very exciting experience. Uh, really learning how the process worked and dealing in a regulated industry that was very, we, we called it the gray area because in the Netherlands, their system was not completely evolved. Um, so we had a really interesting experience there and returned back to the States uh, to finish my uh, graduate program and uh, ended up becoming an attorney for these uh, cannabis clients in Colorado primarily. But And that was largely people that I knew from Oklahoma. Uh, they were just getting in the industry and they called me seeking legal advice uh, made sense, and I've always been a huge advocate for the industry and uh, intimately involved. So this was something I decided that would make a, a chunk of my living out of. And like I said, almost moved up to Colorado and bailed on a Oklahoma, but decided to stick it out for a little while longer and uh, take that experience from both the production side and then watching the regulatory systems evolve in other states and then participating in license applications in other communities kind of giving me a, a unique uh, perspective here in Oklahoma because there's not many people here who have actually gone through that process, uh, legally at least, um, and definitely not many who have worked with clients in other states on license applications and regulatory compliance. There's a few, and most of those are part of our organization. Um, 
But we got uh, pulled in again in 2017. Uh, the irony is that, uh, kind of like Brian pointed out earlier, I was at being asked two years ago by clients here in Oklahoma, God, when, are, when are we going to be able to do this in Oklahoma? And my response was always, when Utah does this, Oklahoma will. We'll be the last two states in the union. And I fully anticipated it would be a, a solid five to seven years at least until we saw it here. Um, I'd recognize that Arkansas, I guess this would have been four to six years ago now, they had actually come within 4% of the vote of adopting medical cannabis prior to the 2016 election when they did approve it. Um, so we could see the writing on the wall that there were jurisdictions similar to Oklahoma that were moving that direction, but I just never thought Oklahoma would be ready for it. I remember a 2008 poll, uh, I think it was a Sooner poll, that I talked with Keith Gaddy about it, and I was blown away. I think it was 59.7% uh, favored uh, medical, and uh, you know this was 10 years ago, and I, I was shocked. I, I, I uh, couldn't believe it, and, and I think uh, a lot of people are, are surprised, uh, pleasantly surprised, or uh, certainly some may be a little uh, wary of this being on the ballot June 26th. Let's get to the politics of it. Brian, I see you about ready to, to say something. Well, I was just going to say that, um, you know, Bud said something that, that you know, made me want to comment on something is that here's what I see from supporters here, and I think it's probably reflective of Bud's organization that he has. There's a lot of people that passionately believe in, you know, medical cannabis for medical reasons, for their own personal reasons, for, you know, whatever you want to say. Then there's a whole a lot of other people that fall into the category of entrepreneurs and they see this as an emerging market emerging business opportunity and i think that people that are our listeners would be surprised at some of the business uh, persons in the state of oklahoma Absolutely. that are either part of bud's organization or are backing this effort because they are business people and they see this as a real opportunity and they see it as a real growth opportunity and this is where they want to put their money this is where they want to invest their money into this emerging market and so there's a there's a lot of people that i don't think we talk about enough that fall into that camp is this where i ask uh, can you give an example uh I, I can. I don't want to name. I don't. I don't think any of us want to name names necessarily. But I definitely know people in the real estate world um, who are trying to talk about making sure there are uh, uh, locations available across the state. Um, a lot of different people, um, and it is. It, yet it is sort of taboo, right? So let's talk about the politics of this, well, right? And, and to that point, I, I can tell you that almost every major industry in Oklahoma, all the major players in those industries are looking with an eye towards getting involved in cannabis. That's what I can say. Your biggest players in agriculture, your biggest players in oil and gas, your biggest players in uh, electric generation, property development, restaurateurs, all of these people are engaged, whether in our organization or on efforts on their own. Um, and again, to Brian's point, uh, everyone who is a major entrepreneur in this state, they've either called my offices <laughs> for trying to figure out how they can be involved um, or they're just waiting this thing out until 788 passes, we're firmly anticipating a deluge of membership applications the day after this thing passes because there's a lot of people silently sitting on the sidelines right now, and we're very much anticipating them jumping out of the woodwork as soon as this thing passes because most people are just too afraid. They're still We live in a culture of fear here in Oklahoma, and nationally the, the drug policies that we've had for generations um, have really – 
disincentivized people from showing public support for an issue like this. Well, and you, and there is there is opposition. Uh, so let's let's get into the politics of this, right? Uh, we, you, you mentioned that there are leaders in all those industries. At the same time, that the chambers of commerce, the main ones, the state chamber, uh, the Oklahoma City Chamber, have uh, you know serious concerns about the the way the language is written. I'll kind of let you. Um, kind of talk about that a little bit. I'll play the devil's advocate, even though I have the longest hair by far of anybody here in the in the podcast. But um, there, there is there is not. I, I do think it's appropriate that everybody talking about this issue on this podcast has a beard. That's right. I, you know what? I, I should have brought. I, I should have brought. Um, Joe Exotic's uh, rolling papers. I don't yeah. know if you've seen this. I, I have a pack of them. Um, that guy's the king of branding. Yeah, they they, they roll a mighty fine cigarette. Uh, so, uh, so let's talk about the 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 politics of it, though, because while I think the polling has previously shown broad support, six months ago, a year ago, you know, at the Capitol, uh, everybody thought it was going to fly and pass. Um, and there was a couple. There were a couple efforts. John Paul Jordan, Representative John Paul Jordan. Um, and then, uh, Bud, you, you yourself had some language that you drafted in an attempt to set maybe a better uh, or, or more professional or more uh, uh, standard framework uh, that would be workable. Um, I mean, the, the, the question as written, and I'm not, I'm not trying to get on, you know, anybody's bad side, but I mean, it's, it's like literally full of typos, you know. And so, I mean, in addition to, you know, that... Um, there's a lot of stuff that needs to be cleaned up and, and, and move forward. The health department being the administrator, the time frames involved, the back, the lack of necessarily background checks for financial information and stuff like that. You know, these are issues that, Bud, you in, I think, a 360-some page. Uh, We're at 378 right now. 378-page <laughs> bill. You have this waiting so that um, if the state question passes, to try to get the legislature to set this more appropriate framework. Uh, but there are people working not to pass this. The Oklahoma State Medical Association argues that it's not uh, medicinal in nature. They believe it's uh, more recreational. The business community, excuse me, the uh, chambers uh, that, that I made reference to have concerns about uh, their fear on employer protections, the idea that, okay, if I, if I have a... Uh, company where I have a bunch of people operating forklifts or other heavy machinery or I'm working on an oil well and I, I I want to prohibit the use of cannabis you know while at work and how do I test for that and what are my protections um, I, I'm also aware that basically federal case law is on their side already but I don't think that has them in the um, you know, that doesn't necessarily have them super comfortable uh, there's also some people who sort of argue that that all this opposition, with those sorts of claims is is maybe uh, sort of just a, a, a political spin on people who are sort of opposed for moral reasons or, or, or reasons of discomfort in other ways. So so where do we stand with the politics of it? What is the opposition campaign's message and how are you guys uh, um, responding to that? Well, I, I think it's important to note that within all of those organizations that have come out as opposing this, there is not unanimity. In that there are members of every one of those groups that supports not only this measure but medical cannabis in general. Um, you know, it's it's interesting. The state medical associations in all 30 states in the District of Columbia um, that have passed some form of medical marijuana have opposed medical marijuana legalization. So when the the tactic is thrown out there that uh, we're okay with medical marijuana, just not this bill, that's just not true. 
because in every single state where you've had a whole variety of proposals, constitutional, statutory, much more spelled out, uh, much more restrictive, the state medical associations have opposed this in every state. Um, so I, I, th I think it's interesting their tactics on this. Um, now the, the state chamber of commerce and the Oklahoma City Chamber of Commerce, uh, we attempted to work with throughout the legislative session and, and assuage some of their concerns about uh, the ability to pre preserve a drug-free workplace. Um, now I've, I've provided legal briefing on this issue that I've also provided to the state of Oregon uh, whenever they were going through their recreational process. Uh, and case law is definitely on the employer side. I mean, Oklahoma is a full-blown at-will employment state, so you can you can terminate someone for having purple socks if you want. Um, you, you don't have to say why you terminate or decide not to hire, uh, so long as it's not based on a uh, protected class for that discrimination. Then you can terminate, hire, fire, whatever that may be. Uh, now we've we've demonstrated commitment to working with the members of the business community and addressing some of these concerns through a statutory program, um, but you know they've taken this, the decision to go out and oppose the state question, and that's the prerogative of some of their members. Well, and Brian, you, you represent, FKG has a variety of clients, obviously. We've had many of them on the show, um, but you, know, you, you, you have a connection with some, some major businesses around uh, the state as well. And I think, like Bud is saying, there's not necessarily a uniform position among everybody with every organization. What can you say in terms of the employer situation? Well, I think employers want certainty. Uh, and I think that that is the biggest issue that employers have is that um, they feel that this state question leaves too many questions unanswered. And I think that we should go back for just a second uh, as it relates to this getting on the ballot and applaud the people that put in the hard work and got this on the ballot. Definitely. They were not, they were not a bunch of lawyers uh, trying to uh, uh, write it all perfectly. They were advocates of the issue, and that's part of citizen democracy, and, and they got something on the ballot, and we should applaud their effort on that. That being said, of course, the ballot has some issues, as probably every one that has passed in probably every state. I think Bud has attempted to do something in Oklahoma that's unique, and that is he's attempted to try and get in front of the regulation prior to the question passing. Uh, I think his organization tried to be responsible and say, this is what we've learned in the other 29, 30 states uh, this has passed. Uh, we don't have to recreate the will here. And what we can do is take lessons learned, you know, best examples in other states, and we can bring this forward and pass this in some framework. This is not something that is unique. Uh, we just did this two years ago on alcohol modernization. You know, I will remind everybody we're, we're talking about alcohol. I mean, we're talking about uh, cannabis today. Two years ago, we just modernized our alcohol laws in the state of Oklahoma that have not even been implemented yet. Uh, October, we're looking at October yeah. 1st date before those even get implemented. So you want to know why it is that there's some opposition? Well, it took us until the year 2016 to modernize our alcohol laws in Oklahoma. So, you know, we're slow on a lot of those type of especially social type issues. Uh, but Bud attempted to get in front. I think Bud would tell you that every question that every employer has can be answered in his 376-page <laughs> right. bill. It definitely uh, can. 
I bet we can come up with a few more pages by the end of the day. We absolutely can. Oh, don't challenge me. But every one of those can can be answered. And I think that what he attempted to do and what we attempted to do uh, uh, was this legislative session. We attempted to go forward and ask the legislature, in anticipation of this passing, why don't we put some a framework in place that provides some comfort to some of these organizations? I think some of these organizations have legitimate concerns, and as Bud said, some of these organizations are going to be opposed to this no matter what, but they know that most people support medical marijuana, so it's easier to say, uh, oh, well, we support medical marijuana, just not this question. Well, I think the answer is always going to be not this question for a lot of those groups. Uh, so you kind of got to, you know, uh, you know, rifle through some of that and try to get to what we really think are those people and those groups that can be appeased. And I believe that the, the employers absolutely can. And it's part of the reason why we took on this client is we wanted to uh, work with employers uh, and we wanted to be able to uh, provide some comfort and some certainty to those employers. And that, that is not something that we have to start tomorrow to do. Bud has already done a lot of work on that. He's got 376 page bill uh, that answers all of those questions that can be implemented immediately after the passage of this through statute. Uh, if the legislature elects not to do this, it is going to fall on the burden of the health department to implement this or regulate from through a regulatory process that can also be implemented. So uh, anyway, I, I think what really the organizations uh, here is trying to be responsible and do this the right way. Unfortunately, what we know about legislative bodies is they're reactionary and they're not proactive. And that's, that's on about every issue that there is. So trying to, in, in this legislative session, which I'll remind everybody was cut short uh, because we had, a, we had a teacher strike that pretty much shut down the legislature for a long period of time. And then they ended up getting out of session on May 3rd instead of May 25th. Uh, that was a long period of time that could have been debated on an issue like this that really got taken off of the table. So uh, I think this organization is, is there ready and willing the moment that this passes to, to go implement. It could be a third special session for us, right? It could be a third special session. And I will also say a lot of these other states that you mentioned a lot of these states uh, have taken a couple cracks at this. Uh, it wasn't the first crack at it, but I mean, this is coming in Oklahoma. Uh, I mean, I think it's going to pass in, on June 26th. On the outside chance that uh, that doesn't work, it's it's coming. Uh, it, it, we're not going to wait the five or seven years. I don't think that we thought. There's a couple interesting things about the way Oklahoma's is drafted. Um, some people have said that the, ironically, maybe the the tax rate on it uh, they wish were a little higher. And then once that's actually in statute, then of course that's a this is quote, the, quote unquote 70, uh, 75% vote, right? This is the one area where people are calling for a higher taxation. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and it's going to get in there. And so, and then can you get, can you get a uh, 76 members of the house to vote for it? Right. Um, go back to our first episode of the podcast to, to learn why that's difficult. Um, but uh, there, there's that element of it. And then there's also the thresholds to get a, a license. Um, and in this sense, uh, I think I've heard it said that that 788, if it passes, Oklahoma would become uh, essentially the most progressive state in terms of the business climate. Um, and by that, I, I mean we're not actually talking about the consumption, and we'll get to that maybe in a, in a minute, but uh, talking about the thresholds to become a small business owner in this industry. So let's compare to Arkansas. 
Um, my And Bud, you know more about this than I do, so stop me if I'm wrong, but uh, when Arkansas's uh, uh, question passed, the framework that was set up, there were very high thresholds of proof of capital that were necessary to get licensures to grow and then to distribute. And I, I, the exa- I should have looked up the exact numbers before we started the podcast, but I think it was roughly two things. One, they were only going to give out like five licenses a year. Five, five total. Five total. Yeah, so, they they so. carved the state into five geographic zones and then were issuing one license per zone that would have been vertically integrated. So that license would have had the production, the cultivation, and the dispensaries all under one licensure. So what you had were groups that joined together to form one license. And that's what we call a monopoly program. Right. They had to have something like $5 million in proof of, of, of resource, liquid assets to get a, to qualify for, for any of that. And it would really leave out, I mean, I know you guys are pretty snazzily dressed, but I mean, it would leave out, uh, you know, average Oklahomans who think, well, maybe I'd like to, to, you know, start a, a distribution uh, shop. I, I know one woman uh, who I think is a member of your group who, who has a liquor store and is trying to get out of that business and, and into um, into medical cannabis distribution. Um, so in Oklahoma, as opposed to $5 million in assets, you need... Well, as of right now, all you have to have is you have to demonstrate that you're of a certain age, that you're not a felon, or that you're not currently incarcerated, um, and that's about it. I thought, there was like five thousand, I thought you had I thought there was like five thousand dollars somewhere. Am I wrong? Uh, there's a twenty five hundred dollar application fee. Okay. And then there's a five thousand dollar application fee for a processor license. Okay. Um, now the the issues that we have with this, that if you look in most other states, uh, we'll take a step back. So I represent a lot of businesses in the liquor industry. So when you go in and you submit a license uh, application for a mixed beverage permit. Say I'm going to serve alcohol at a restaurant. Mm, I have mixed to beverages. That's so good. <laughs> uh, but you have to demonstrate that you have adequate financing available to actually run your operation. You have to submit your open bank accounts to the Able Commission and show this because they don't want to start granting a, a zoning overlays that's a permanent alcohol overlay. Uh, with a piece of property, and then B, they don't want to grant a liquor license to someone who can't afford to run that business, and then someone who shouldn't be running that business comes over and buys the license. Um, That's what they've tried to prevent in other states by having a threshold requirement of financial disclosure um, in addition to just demonstrating that you can actually work in this industry. Now, there's a lot of reasons for this because, first of all, the cannabis industry right now, you cannot deduct your business expenses as far as a tax write-off of the federal government. So you're already anticipating paying upwards of 40% in tax rates um, to both the feds and the state. That right there is going to require people to have a significant amount of financial liquidity to cover the operations of their business. Um, Two, uh, you have issues as far as uh, being able to handle payroll. Uh, You can't do banking. Uh, most banks are restricted from actually doing business with marijuana-related businesses. Um, so as a result, everything has been conducted in cash transactions. So there is a reason for demonstrating that kind of fiscal liquidity and adequacy 
to make sure that you can run your operation in a, an appropriate manner. And there's no, there's no reason why those those questions cannot still be answered. Absolutely. And that's that's part of, I think, what, what Bud's talking about in his 376-page bill. This is, this is a lot different than the modernizing of alcohol. There was a ballot question, but there was also a statutory revisions uh, piece of legislation that was probably 300 and some odd pages that went through the legislative process that spelled out a lot of these details. For like, only two years. Yeah, exactly. Right. And who, than that. Who, I mean, if you are an advocate and you're trying to put this stuff on the ballot, you can't address every single issue. And it rarely is it in rarely a state is. question. Yeah, absolutely. They, so this, this is, I guess the point of all of this, this is not really abnormal from the normal process on passing a piece of legislation and then developing a lot of rules or what have you. And, sure. if, you, and if you look at most states, how they've done this, it's usually occurred over the period of one to three years that they've done a supplemental rulemaking where they've passed legislation through their uh, legislative bodies. Now, what we're trying to do is say, hey, let's not reinvent the wheel here. We have plenty of very positive, effective models to operate from. So let's go ahead and address this in one comprehensive body and be able to start operating as quick as a manner as possible. I guess my point was that, that Oklahoma's maybe is a little more populist in terms of in other states, um, and I don't, I don't want to name them offhand, but I know people who've worked on campaigns, that, that, there, that these were efforts that were pushed by people with lots of money, especially if we're talking 20 years ago sure. or 15 years ago. These were pushed by powerful people with lots of money who, yes, were trying to change the laws and the culture, but they didn't get to have a lot of money without realizing also, hey, we can set up a framework that, that really prohibits anybody uh, from coming in and, and, and taking over this industry without us leading the way. Well, if you look at Arkansas, I mean, not to, I'm no expert on Arkansas, but I mean, you've basically spelled out exactly what you're saying. I mean, it's kind of a monopoly. I mean, you one of five licenses in the state of Oklahoma, I mean, state of Arkansas and whatever in that region, you just completely have a monopoly over that. Where And a district judge threw their program out. So now that program is they're having to go back to the drawing board and create a more equitable program. I think the, the biggest example of what Trace is pointing to is in Ohio. You had a, a very strong uh, medical marijuana activist community that had been pushing for some, uh, some ballot initiatives. And then Nick Lachey, formerly of, I don't know, which one, which one of the boy bands? Oh, uh, it, Backstreet? Backstreet Boys. <laughs> I think... He, 98 degrees. Yeah, he was Not, at 98 degrees. Brian, our our uh, audio technician over here uh, apparently he's pumping this in his pumping this in his uh, headphones. Well, the Nick Lachey was part of a group in Ohio that they attempted to push through a ballot initiative that would have done the same thing, would have created limited licensure for I want to say it was like eight licensees, and the uh, the activists turned against them and actually defeated the ballot measure um, in a vote. Um, so that's something that obviously we want to avoid here. Unfortunately, we have to look at the state of the industry right now nationally. And I understand, Trace, what you're saying about kind of the populist uh, trend here in Oklahoma, but it doesn't do any good if no one can actually have a sustainable business model uh, in this environment. We look at trends in well-established states, um, Colorado, Oregon, Washington, Arizona. You're looking at a 60% reduction in the price per pound wholesale that you're looking at for flower cannabis. Uh, this makes it to a point where, A, it's not profitable for an enterprise. And if you're having to spend 
$1.5 million on a full-blown operation for a cultivation facility that includes your security protocols, that includes your software, that includes your training uh, initiatives, et cetera, et cetera. These are all the things that you have to have to be compliant with those regulations that are industry standards. Um, so I think there's a pretty vast misunderstanding amongst a lot of people where they feel like, hey, I should just be able to grow a bunch of cannabis in my backyard and start selling this publicly. Um, unfortunately, that's just not, just not the way this industry is developed. Now let's talk about that. Uh, the The question as it is written would allow people to grow cannabis in their backyard, but for personal Patience. use. All right, for pe- personal use only. Yeah, it would allow for individual patients that hold a medical marijuana card to grow up to six mature plants at a time. Now, you got to kill the males, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> that's the that's the old joke, right? That's it, never mind. Yeah, yeah for propagation Where, purposes. Some, maybe some feminists will like that. I don't know. Well, I think one of the issues that we see, um, I, we're all in favor of patients being able to. Uh, grow their own, especially when it's necessary. So in Arizona, for example, uh, they have a 50-mile requirement that if you are located outside of 50 miles from an established dispensary, then you can grow your own. And ultimately, aren't most of these initiatives asking whether we should allow access to medical marijuana? Isn't that the importance of this is to provide patients with forms of relief? So it's not asking, should we let everyone grow their own marijuana? And I think there's two different camps on this. You have some people that really just want to have this go forward so they can start growing their own marijuana. Um, I think that most states, and definitely the industry representation in those states, uh, would tell you that uh, the black market has really evolved from unmitigated and unregulated home grow. Um, I may or may not have represented clients in other states that have done this very thing. And it's been detrimental to the industry as a whole uh, and it messes up pricing, messes up the industry compliance, and it verifies some of those concerns that law enforcement has in certain communities. So what we're in favor of is actually having those personal grow provisions, but we want to make sure that if someone is going to actually grow for themselves or if they're a caregiver wanting to grow for themselves, grow for a patient, that they register. And just like a restaurant or anyone else, that you submit to inspection to verify that you only have so many plants. Right, I have six plants as opposed to 600. Exactly, because we know there's players out there that would want to skirt right. the rules, and just like in any industry. Um, so, so let's talk, we're, we're getting toward the end of our, our time here, uh, although this is a deep, deep topic, great conversation. Let's talk about the medical component of this. We're talking about patients. One of the problems that the OSMA has uh, articulated is that uh, – they wish, and, and Senator Irvin Yin, who's a, an anesthesiologist, a physician, had tried to limit the type of conditions that this would apply to. And there's been a lot of pushback about that in terms of, well, are you saying that only six types of conditions qualify for use of medical cannabis, et cetera, et cetera? At the same time, there are also people out there, I remember talking to, to Dr. Drew Pinsky years and years ago, talking about that in many ways, you know, uh, the overarching idea that, well, uh, cannabis is what helps me most with my whatever it is, anxiety or whatever, that there are actually other medications that are often, um, you know, more appropriate uh, than, well, I, I have foot pain, so I, you know, I did this. At the same time, advocates for medical cannabis would say, if we can prescribe um, hydrocodone, 
for foot pain or back pain or whatever, why can we not prescribe something that actually, um, you know, grows in the ground and isn't a, a, a synthetic version of a, of another uh, far more dangerous drug? Yeah, I'd like so, to. I'd like to take a layperson's stab at this before Bud will have a, a much, much more elaborate response. But when I hear that a lot, and we heard that a lot through the legislative process, you know, my question is, how many other uh, opioid type drugs do we have statutory uh, uh, conditions in statute that say you can only take this drug if you have these type of conditions. I'm unaware of any other examples like that. And in, in all of those cases, it is always believed that it is it is between the doctor and patient relationship. And the, the physician in that situation can determine what's best for their patient, and the patient in consultation with the physician can determine what's best for them. And so I guess the question I would really pose back uh, is, why is that good for every other uh, drug on the market, but when we talk about medical cannabis, everybody wants to limit what what you can um, prescribe them for. I don't. I, that's the part I don't understand. And I, I know what Senator Yen's response would be is that while there are no statutory restrictions put in place on other forms of medical treatment, um, that there is an FDA process. You have a, a a slip that's provided that says which conditions usually this can be applied for. Um, so we understand that that part of this process of going through the FDA. Now, what I would throw back is that it doesn't take much effort to find hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of peer-reviewed scientific studies in every American medical journal, whether it's strokes, cancer, uh, chronic pain management, that demonstrate the efficacy of one form or another of medical cannabis treatment, whether it's CBD, THC, CBG. Uh, these are all components of the cannabis plant for those of you who aren't familiar with it, um, but that demonstrate the efficacy of these in treating a, a wide variety of conditions. And one of the only reasons we do not have more extensive, in particular, THC research is because of the restrictions placed upon research by the federal government. Um, now, I'll use Senator Yin's words. Um, we were talking at a journal record forum last week over at KOSU, and he pointed out that there's really no reason right now that the DEA and FDA should not reschedule cannabis from a Schedule One narcotic to either a Schedule Two or Three because that the FDA is about to approve two separate CBD patents and licenses, and they've already approved two different synthetic THC licenses. So what that demonstrates is this plant has a medical value for treatment, and that is the only thing that keeps a product on the Schedule One list of narcotics is that it doesn't have a medical uh, use. Right. So here we've demonstrated that medical use. Um, and so this is, I mean, at the, end, at the end of the day, this is actually uh, a bigger issue on the federal level. Uh, you referenced the banking uh, issue and then and then obviously the FDA and the way uh, the schedule one classification. Research. Um, so states have, it's ironic, well, I don't know if it's ironic, it's overused word, but uh, it is interesting to me that um, you know, states have taken the lead, and uh, this is sort of if we were in a civics class, right, uh, you know, Tenth Amendment and things, the states have taken the lead in pushing forward um, uh, in an effort to change these laws. Um, so let's, we're going to wrap up here. Uh, let's have I, our, our I parting have, thoughts. Well, I have a you couple, I have them? a couple, no, no, I have a couple <laughs> questions for Bud really quick uh, right. that I, I think are important for this podcast. The first one is, uh, there are uh, there are some people I've heard say 
CBD is the only component that has any medical value whatsoever. How do you answer that? Well, that's just absolutely not true. I mean, we look at the peer-reviewed studies and that demonstrates that CBD in conjunction with the other components of cannabis, whether it's THC, uh, which has the psychotropic parts, the part that gets you high, and then CBG. There's also 27 at least other components to the cannabis plant that are still being researched and developed as far as their medical applications. So to claim that we've addressed this all by Governor Fallon signing a, a proclamation saying we can use CBD in Oklahoma, uh, that only opens the window. Uh, we need to be able to open it all the way and accept the scientifically demonstrated medical treatments that are available from these other products. Uh, people love to cite to the epilepsy issue. Well, the patients that suffer the most benefit when they combine the CBD component with the THC. It's not just the CBD. Uh, and they have to have such high levels of pharmaceutical-grade CBD to be effective. So that's something we really say, hey, what the science shows us, and again, the THC studies are fairly limited in the United States, uh, where there's a lot of stuff coming out of Israel, the United Kingdom, and Germany that demonstrate the efficacy, and Canada, by the way, our neighbors to the north. Um, but that's something that is just not true. CBD is great, but we have a lot more. And my, my second question is, for the listeners here, we've done a lot of deep dive here. Let's simplify this. The way in which the ballot initiative is written today, if this were to pass and be implemented, let's assume, what does that actually mean? How do you, how do you, how do you get a, um, a card or whatever? You know, explain that process really quickly. Well, unless we pass supplemental laws really implementing 788, under 788, there's a 30-day enacting clause. So within 30 days, then the Department of Health will be the regulatory agency. They'll have 30 days to put together applications for both patients and business applicants. Uh, and then at that point, um, what the 788 says is that if I'm a business owner and I decide to apply for a cultivation license, if I meet this small list of criteria and I submit my $2,500 application, the Department of Health has 14 days to turn around and issue me a license. Um, same thing with any of the other business licenses, and then same thing with the uh, individual patient licenses. Now, those patient licenses are completely dependent upon receiving a physician recommendation, which that just debunks the whole argument that this is recreational, not medical. Uh, we really need to point that out, that the only difference between a medical program and a recreational program is that in a medical program, it requires a physician's recommendation. And 788 clearly requires a physician recommendation. So uh, that process, um, you go through, get your recommendation, that's sent over to the Department of Health, and the Department of Health has to issue the license to the individual patient. Um, but under these guidelines, there's timelines that are set forth that are really pretty quick and restrictive. Um, uh, it, it'll be interesting to see if the legislature and the Department of Health decide not to act on this issue. Uh, there's going to be uh, a lot of people submitting applications, we'll say that. Okay, uh, let's do our final thoughts. I've got one real quick. I'll start. We'll go. Well, I have something to add here. I think we, we do something uh, after the fact here in which we kind of send around emails coming up with the possible names for the podcast. I think we should take a minute and brainstorm some potential podcast names for this, and we'll see whether or not any of them actually end up being the name <laughs> on the podcast. Vote yes. <laughs> Z's, I don't know. Uh, 
I don't know. I don't know. Uh, smoke them if you got them. I mean, you gotta smoke Oklahoma. Yeah, yeah. Smoke Oklahoma. Buds, buds. Buds, buds. Bud on bud. Bud on bud. Bud, bud on, on bud. bud. I mean, I like right, it. That, maybe I, that's, that's it. Good. I think we <laughs> nailed it right there. So. See, that's why we do this exercise. Well, I, let's make these uh, final 15, 20 second thoughts. Mine is this, and I, I, I try not to, to give my opinion a whole lot, my personal private opinion as a, a journalist and try to write on both sides of these issues. But um, I, I think one thing about wh- how cannabis is obtained now, if you're somebody who does benefit from it and you use it, um, it may help you sleep, whatever it is. That person, uh, be they a senior citizen or a, whoever they are, doesn't know what they are getting in the bag that they're purchasing. Um, there are different types of marijuana, uh, the different levels of THC, different strands, do, do, do different things. Some help you sleep more, some help you give a little energy, some, all sorts of things. Some may be better for seizures, some may be better for other things. But currently, in the black market, you go give cash to someone, you go watch the movie Pineapple Express, and you don't really typically know what it is you're getting to choose or have. So I think that that's something we didn't mention is that the unregulated nature of marijuana use right now ends up uh, being more uncertain for people and potentially less effective or more harmful for them. I agree. And that that's a very important point. And at New Health Solutions Oklahoma, we're already working with members of our medical community on developing an education platform for physicians to understand how cannabis operates, to understand different delivery systems, whether you're talking about vaping, whether you're talking about oils, edibles, uh, or smokable flour. Uh, and working on ways that we can really enhance research and development opportunities in Oklahoma. That's where I think we stand to benefit incredibly in Oklahoma as partnerships with our medical research institutions, with our agricultural institutions, to make Oklahoma potentially an industry leader. That is our goal with NHSO, is to conduct that kind of research. And if we're going to treat it as medical, really treat it as medical. I think, Trace, you, you made a very good point, and I think that is part of the stigma. Uh, and, and really, when you talk, when you really think about this, what you're trying to overcome in the state question is the stigma that started with reefer madness and has you know just stuck with people for years and years and years. Uh, but a lot of people believe or don't know, and a lot of people just assume that there's just one form of marijuana and you go take it home and put it in a big bong and that's how you smoke it. <laughs> and I think that's part of the stigma that people don't realize that, that you know, it just like uh, any other type of uh, drug that you can get, you can get it in pill form, you can get it there in a million different forms. And there's as many different, you know, if you do research about this, you'll find there are as many different strains of marijuana as there probably are uh, uh, brands of wine or different types of craft beers or whatever there there is. So it does, I think, trace to your point, give the 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 consumer much greater choice as to what helps them and what does not help them. And I, Brian's heard me say this a million times that over seventy percent of the market now is actually in a non-smokable format. So people, it's not Cheech and Chong anymore. People aren't just rolling up spliffs. They're using more edibles. They're using drops. They're using pills. Um, and I think we're likely to see more of that. And, and that's another thing that probably has to be dealt with in regulation after the fact is how do you label edibles and things like that? Definitely. Well, I think that that, do you guys have anything else as we bail? This is a long one. I know we all got to go in different directions and travel this weekend. So just encourage people to get out there on June 26 and uh, vote. And whether they vote yes or no on this, we encourage them to vote yes. But um, really just to get out there, participate, do your civic duty. 
All right. Well, thank you for being here, bud. Bud on bud. Bud on bud. Brian on Brian. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Take care. How We Got Here is a presentation of FKG Consulting in association with Nondoc.com. Produced and edited by Bryce Holland. For more information, visit fkgconsulting.com and nondoc.com.